Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can always learn more about the vision or get financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Hey, it's a good Sunday to be in church, isn't it? It's the Super Bowl. Y'all excited for tonight? I want so bad for Tom Brady to win. We're the same age. Tom Brady answered the call to the NFL the same year I answered the call to ministry. So I'm a little partial. Uh, Hey, today, um, before I jump into the sermon, I want to talk about those cards that you have on your seat for VIP nights. Uh, What this means is this is a night that we have set aside for people that we deem to be very important people. That would be guests at Awakened Church over the last six to nine months. One of the things that we've realized is uh, through COVID, those watching online, um, and as we've opened the church back, both here for both services and uh, Somerville on Sunday nights, is there's a lot of people that may not have uh, been connected with at Awaken Church. Maybe you got some questions about what our vision is, our mission is, why do we talk about groups, why do we talk about teams? Um, and so what we've done is we've created these this night, and there's going to be more throughout the year, uh, where it's a night where you can come meet all of our staff. Uh, have a meal on us. Um, we got childcare taken care of, but it'll be about a two-hour deal where it's really um, kind of like a date, all right? Um, I don't mean that to intimidate you, but it's a chance for you to hear who we are, a chance for us to get to know you, and maybe um, you to plug into some avenues where God can do some incredible things in and through you at Awaken Church. So if you're a VIP, you can go ahead right now. You go, am I very important? Yes. Um, you're the reason we planted the church. And so you can scan that QR code and you can register now for that night. I will tell you, we've got a capacity of 150 people, uh, so jump on it soon. It will fill up and uh, we want to make sure that you have a seat at the table that night. Everybody good? We are jumping in a new series today called Chasing Ghost. And uh, Zoe introduced it briefly. The idea of this series is essentially um, how we pursue things that we believe somehow will bring us happiness bring us fulfillment, bring satisfaction, but ultimately, they're like a ghost. This is not a Blair Witch Project type sermon. Um, We're not going to be like ghost hunting. The inspiration from this actually came from uh, my favorite athlete ever, Michael Jordan. LeBron James, just hang with me real quick, because I already made some of y'all mad. Uh, LeBron James, uh, when he was at Cleveland with the Cleveland Cavaliers, Uh, He led that franchise to an NBA championship. And um, for those who don't know, LeBron, uh, straight out of high school, uh, by the time he's done with his career, he will have probably broken almost every NBA record there is. He's incredible. And as he was chasing uh, the title and then he won the title, Sports Illustrated, after the championship, sat down and did an interview with LeBron James. And they were asking questions about like how he takes care of his body and how he trains and what drives him, what motivates him to stay so great as an athlete. And LeBron James said this to Sports Illustrated, and I found it incredibly interesting. This is what he said. Out of all the things that can motivate him, you think the scoring title, you think money, you think fame, you think influence, celebrity. This is what LeBron James said to Sports Illustrated. My motivation is this ghost that I'm chasing. 
It's the ghost that played in Chicago. And what LeBron was saying is, I, I've got this inherent motivation that's driving me to chase a man named Michael Jordan, who won six titles with the Chicago Bulls. And I thought about this, and I'm like, this is a, a, a guy who at the time I think was like 33 years old, married, kids, everything at his fingertips. Yet the thing that he's chasing is something that ultimately even he describes as something he can't quite get a hold of. It's like a vapor. It's a ghost. It's fleeting. And I think about as, as Christians, right, as the people of God, so often we chase after things in, in a very similar fashion, right? Things like success or money, approval from other people. Maybe it is fame or popularity or influence. These things that we go after and we think, if I could just attain blank, then I'll be happy. Then life will somehow be better. But the truth is, ultimately, it's like a vapor. It's like a ghost. And it is unattainable. If you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Next week, we're going to be talking about chasing money and stuff, by the way. Uh, next week is Valentine's Day. All you men, you're welcome. Uh, I gave you a little heads up, so do something. Buy something, okay? Uh, we're going to try to make it special for those who show up at Awaken, but don't say nobody told you or you forgot. All right, next week's money and stuff. The week after that, we're going to talk about chasing uh, really approval from people and how, how really there's this drive inside of probably most people uh, to people please or be approved of by others. And then the final week, we're going to talk about chasing convenience or, or comfort and what that looks like. But today, I want to talk specifically about this pursuit or this relentless drive to achieve fame or influence. And you might go, you know what, that's not something that I'm really striving for. That's not something that I'm going after. Um, let's substitute the word fame for popularity. Because most people in the room, most people listening right now, there, there's a side of you, something about you that would make you want to be popular. You would want people to say, uh, I know them, I respect them, I admire them, I look up to them. The, the Webster's Dictionary defines popular uh, as wanting recognition or approval or affection from people. So that's what we're going to focus in on today. And I want to talk about a man named David because David is probably one of the most famous people in the Bible, right? Like even if you've never been to church before in your life, maybe this is your first time ever coming, you've heard about David and Goliath, like culturally and secularly, this story gets popularized. The idea that this shepherd boy named David uh, showed up in battle. There was a big uh, giant named Goliath and no one wanted to fight him because everyone was afraid. And so David, as this shepherd boy, grabbed some stones and a slingshot and he killed Goliath. And he rose to fame and became a king. And oftentimes that's how people believe the story to have taken place. That David did some monumental feat. And so God said, oh, no, he needs to be king. But that's not at all what happened. That's not at all how it took place. And I, and I think it's important that we look at the story of how it actually played out because we can learn a lot from how David handled what God called him to and what he did in the years before it actually came to fruition. Before I do that, in 2017, and this is really for all the millennials, if you consider yourself a millennial in the house, would you just raise your hand? Put your hand up, right? You go, how do I know if I'm a millennial? Are you 35 and below? Put your hand up. You're like, no, I'm Gen Z, I'm Gen X, I'm Gen whatever. If you're below that, this is for you, okay? In 2017, uh, Forbes.com published an article. And it was an article on, uh, it really is analyzing social media and 
uh, this drive with like Facebook and friends and Instagram and likes and followers and TikTok and this evolution of all these online platforms that garner followings. And this is what the article described, this insatiable appetite for fame. In 2017, it said that of the millennials that were polled, and it was a massive poll, 25% of these millennials would turn in a full-time job making a healthy salary for fame. In other words, let's just say um, you're a very successful business owner. You would go, you know what? Uh, I would give up my career if I could just be famous. I'd turn it in. 25% of millennials said that. 10% said that if they were given a full-time scholarship, so let's say you had a, a full ride to Clemson or a full ride to Citadel or a full ride you know, to whatever college, 10% said I would not take the scholarship if I could just have fame. I could be famous and be well-known. One out of 12, now this is impressive. One out of 12 surveyed said that they would completely disown their family if they could become famous. Some of y'all are like, look, it wouldn't even take being famous to do that. I, I'll turn it in right now, right? It, it, was, it's an incre- it really is an, it's an intriguing article about this drive, generational drive to be famous or to be known or to have influence or be deemed popular in an era where, listen, with the internet and with the rise of all these social sites, it seems quite attainable. And so what I want to look at in David is a young man who was chosen at a young age to be the most popular man in the land, but he didn't let it get to his head. First Samuel 16 and verse 10. And what we have in the story is understanding the nation of Israel God chose certain prophets to be his spokesperson to the nation. All right, I want you to think about it like this. If, if we were thinking about America, you think about the president, this would be like the spiritual advisor to the president, okay? And so God would choose a prophet and the prophet would speak on behalf of God to the king and to the people. Well, God speaks to Samuel and he says, Samuel, it's now time to anoint the next king. There was a king in place, his name was Saul. But Samuel knew from God, okay, now it's time to go and choose who the next king will be after Saul. And so he tells Samuel, I want you to go and find this man named Jesse. Jesse has some sons. One of those sons, I've chosen to be the next king over Israel. So you go and anoint that son. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10, this is what we find. Samuel shows up on Jesse's property. He tells Jesse, line your boys up. Verse 10, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel the prophet said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are you sure that all your sons are here? I want you to get the scene real quick. Jesse's got eight boys. Seven of them are lined up, right? So Jesse as a dad is like, okay, um, if one of my sons is going to be the next king, it's got to be one of these seven. There's one out in the field that doesn't stand a chance. So I'll just line my best up. The one that's out there, we'll He'll just keep working. It's got to be one of these seven. And you imagine the seven sons, right? They're sitting there like, yep, it's me. No, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. Trust me. It's going to be me, right? They're just, they're betting on which one's going to be anointed king. Prophet looks at all of them and says, it's none of these. Like, you got anybody else? And look what Jesse says. He says, well, I, I do have one. There remains one. He's the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And so Samuel said to Jesse, well, send and get him. For we will not sit down until he comes here. And so he sent and he brought David in. David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel the prophet took the horn of oil 
and he anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Imagine a 16-year-old that's just like out tending the sheep, right? That probably doesn't even know this selection process is taking place. He's just, he woke up, he's doing what his dad told him to do. He's looking after these sheep, he's protecting them, right? And then he gets word, hey, look, you need to come back to the house because at the house, there's this prophet and he's called for you. And so David comes back, not expecting anything. And he shows up at the house. And as soon as he walks in, the prophet says, that's the one. And he takes out oil, which was a sign of anointing. And he literally tells David, you're gonna be the next king over Israel. And then David goes back to keeping sheep. Can you imagine what would happen if that happened today? You just imagine a 16-year-old today that somehow was like, hey, you're gonna be the next president of America. You know what would happen? I'm gonna go create an Instagram. I'm gonna get blue check verified and I'm gonna tell everybody, hey, this is what I'm gonna do with my life. You might wanna get on board. Uh, He'd look at his brothers and be like, y'all are gonna wanna follow me. That's right, you follow me. Mm -hmm. I'll find a position for you in my empire, right? But bragging, boasting, like letting everybody know this is what God's gonna do. Y'all, David gets anointed and he goes right back to keeping sheep. And in fact, it would be 10 years from this moment to the moment that David actually becomes king. 10 years that he faithfully serves with nobody knowing who he is, serves in oblivion, carries out his job under the current King Saul before God would launch him into being popular or famous or having the influence that he was anointed for in this moment. You go, why does this even matter? Why should this matter to any one of us? Here's why it matters. Because there is inside of every single person watching right now, online, listening, in the room, there is a part of you that wants people to like you, accept you, approve you, and some might be willing to do almost anything to make that happen. God may have called you out to be different, anointed you for a different assignment. You go, well, I don't know if I'm anointed or not. Listen, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you have been anointed, approved, and called out. You don't need anybody's approval. But you may operate, right, from this wound of thinking, I need people to like me. I need to fit in. I need to be popular. David, in this moment, gets an anointing on his life. But he had had an assignment to be a shepherd, and he goes right back to his assignment and doesn't chase any kind of fame, any kind of fluence, even though he'd already been told this is what was going to happen with his life. It's an incredibly phenomenal story. And then what happens, David, while he's a shepherd... Uh, one day he hears about his brothers that are in battle, right? The whole army is out fighting the Philistines. And so his dad looks at him, not expecting him to do anything monumental, and says, hey, David, look, your brothers need some like cheese and bread. Can you take this meal to the front lines? And so David carries it out to the front lines. When he gets there, he sees the whole army like cowered down afraid. And he's like, what's the problem? That he sees Goliath out there. Goliath is mocking God and mocking the army. And David's like, are y'all gonna do something about this? They're like, no, we're afraid. He's like, well, I'll take care of it, right? And that's the story where he grabs his stones and his slingshot and he goes and he kills Goliath. And then when that happened, y'all, then the people were like, hey, this is David. We love David. They threw parades for David. They put his name up in the spotlights. Like if there was ever a time for David to take the kingdom, it was then. But you know what David did? Submitted himself to Saul, right? Because it wasn't his time yet. He had this humble approach to an annoying that God had put on his life. David also built a relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan. Said they were best friends. 
They were of one spirit. They loved each other. Jonathan, on one occasion, took off his robe and put it on to David because he knew David was anointed to be the next king. That was significant because the robe that was uh, actually, Jonathan would have become the next king, right? He was in line as the son, but God chose someone different. He puts his coat on to, to David. David could have been like, that's right, I'm in charge. Even the king's son says, I'm in charge, but what does David do? Thanks, Jonathan. I'm gonna wait my time. He wasn't clamoring for the spotlight. See, my, my point is, being famous, which David most definitely became famous, he gained tons of influence. In First Chronicles chapter 14, it says that, God, that David did everything God commanded, right? And God caused David's name to be feared among the nations. Like he, his fame grew and he was feared among the nations, but God gave that fame. And what I want us to see is that fame and influence and popularity is not a bad thing. In fact, sometimes God gives it. But it's the pursuit of it that can lead you into disaster. You follow me? It's kind of like money. I talked about money last fall. We did a generosity series. And I said, hey, money is amoral. Money in and of itself is not bad or good, right? It's a tool that's when put in the hands of people, then can be used for bad or good. Fame is no different or popularity. God may go, look, I want to raise that person up, that name up, that position up. God does that though. But if we spend our days pursuing that, we'll lose what's most important. Let me make it really personal for some of you. I wish I had my phone up here. I didn't bring my phone. Somebody give me a phone. This is so risky right now. I promise I'm not going to, Lauren, here we go. <laughs> Latest text messages and, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's very possible, right? You go, I don't, I don't want to be famous. I'm not pursuing influence. But in terms of like popular or being known or being connected and have everybody like me, it's, it's very possible that you could sit here on this thing in your living room, right? And your spouse could be on one and your kids could be on one and you're, you're trying so hard to gain the approval of people that aren't even in the room, maybe not even in the same city, definitely not the same state, that you miss the people sitting right in front of you. One of the things that I hate seeing, like if I ever see somebody in Awakened Church doing this, I'm gonna call you out in the restaurant. I can't stand going to a restaurant and seeing two people sit across from each other on the phone. It's like, what are you doing? You should have just ordered takeout, DoorDash, sit at home, right? What are you doing? You're dating somebody that's not even at the table. It's just crazy. I know my kids think I'm nuts because we don't allow phones at the table. But I'm like, look, I don't want you enjoying the meal with somebody that's not at the meal. Listen, some of you are living for likes of people that aren't even in your life. Pursuing popularity, pursuing influence, pursuing some kind of connection that matters to you, but in the whole scheme of things doesn't really matter. And you're willing to do whatever it takes to actually make that happen. See, here's what's crazy. We, we live in a, a day and age where fame or influence is, is a lot more attainable than it once was. Right? There's an entire industry called influencers. Did y'all know that? I had to learn this over the last couple of years. There's an entire industry called influencers. People that have like the greatest following online or the most views or subscriptions online. And so companies will go to these influencers and say, push our product or just mention this. And, and if you do, right, then we will reap the benefits of it. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. And what's crazy is you used to have to do something somewhat impressive to be famous. Right, like think about Henry Ford. He made a car. Like that dude deserves to be famous, you know what I'm saying? Or like you went to the moon or you won a Super Bowl. Now you just gotta do something stupid. If, if, if you do something foolish and it goes viral, you're famous instantly, you know what I'm saying? 
If you don't believe me here, this is what we did. We made a compilation of videos, the most watched videos of 2020 online from TikTok, YouTube. We made a compilation. I want you to look at it. This is, this is what people like you care about more than anything else and spend their time watching. So y'all check this out and then I'll continue the sermon. Uh, Diane, I've noticed that Jeff is not here. He has not checked into the meeting. Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to bring that up. I actually made a PowerPoint on that exact topic. I emailed everyone the PowerPoint. If you guys want to check your emails, we should be always checking our emails. Um, you can look at the PowerPoint so we don't have to ask questions during this time. It's a thief in the night to come and grab you. It can creep up inside you and consume you. A disease of the mind, it can control you. It's too close to comfort. Right? It's so stupid. Right? Like, you just have to be stupid and you can become famous. Now, here, here's what's great. Th- those are all phenomenal, but the most watched, the most watched video from last year, and you've probably already seen this before. Y'all check this out. This was the highest viewed video on the internet from last year. Twenty dog face two oh eight is killing the game. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 crazy. Seventy seven million people have watched that, and it's like, why why does that really matter? What it's like? First of all, it means we got a lot of time on our hands, right? But it it also means there's people that will will do anything and are trying anything to be viral, to be famous, to be known, to get your attention and my attention, right? It's nuts. And what's crazy is we've exchanged in some ways like sensational um, content for content that has substance. In other words, we, we just want something flashy. If I could just have one quick move, if I got 10 seconds of fame, that's, that's more important to me than a life that actually matters, right? If, oh, and, and I think that also has, if I can have a little bit of liberty here as a pastor, I think that's crept into the church too. And here's what it means. That, that we'll accept sermons or statements that are sensational but lack substance. In other words, here, here's, a good, here's a good comment or here's a good meme, right? And we're like, mm, yeah, girl, that's good. But it might not even be scriptural, you know? Or post a picture, like some of y'all are like, mm, yeah, like you're in a bikini and you're like, mm, boom, yeah, God's beauty is so good. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, we know what you're doing. Wonder why I'm defriending you, you know? But, but seriously, like, can we, what if all of us, even online, like, what if all of us just made, made this resolve, this pack? Like, look, I'm not going to like or encourage that kind of garbage because it's sensational, but it lacks substance. But you're like, hey, I, I just want, I want the likes. I want the likes. I want the follows. Look, if you have to do that to gain somebody, if you have to drop your convictions to gain somebody's approval, somehow you've missed out on what God's called you to be. 
And, and it's happening all around us. You may say, look, this isn't me. Like this doesn't apply to me. I don't even have Instagram or I'm on a break. This is why. Here's the deal. What's important for you to know is that your kids or your grandkids or the people around you are in a desperate pursuit of being liked, a desperate pursuit of fitting in. And the sooner we get a handle on this and recognize, look, I don't need people to like me. I don't need people to approve of me. It takes so much pressure off of your life. This is the question that we have to ask. When we start talking about pursuing fame, pursuing influence, caring about popularity, it's really one question. You go, if I had to wrap this sermon up into one question, here it is. Whose name matters most? Whose name matters most? David, who would rise and become this incredible king, one of the most prominent kings over all of Israel, definitely one of the most well-known men in the Bible. David in Psalm 115, this is what he said. And this is a great line. This would be a great verse you'd memorize. Psalm 115, one, not to us. This is David writing this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to me, but to your name be the glory. Your name be the fame. What would happen if we operated in this sense of like, look, I'm not trying to get my name in lights. I want Jesus' name in lights. Like I wanna push him for it. God used me to do that, but please take me out of the picture. What would happen if somehow we would elevate his name instead of ours? You say, well, how does that happen? How can I do that? What's interesting, uh, I'm not a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination. Now, I've worked with a lot of people, served a lot of people over the last 20 years. It's called church. And son, you can learn a lot about a lot of people in church. But what psychologists will tell you is this. Psychologists, most psychologists will say, this desire, this insatiable desire to have influence, to gain fame, to gain notoriety, typically stems from some kind of wound of rejection in your past. Maybe you were rejected by parents. Perhaps you didn't fit in with a group of friends, never, never quite had your squad or your people that you identified with. And so what's happened is now the internet has provided a means by which you can pursue that in other places. In other words, you can find somebody that isn't close to anybody, but connected to a lot of somebodies. And, and so this desire to be connected, this desire to be known comes from this wound. Yet we look at somebody like David, who God used mightily, and you go, why did David not operate out of that wound? I mean, David was rejected, right? Prophet's like, hey, Jesse, call your boys. And he's like, yeah, I don't even need David. Talk about rejected or outcast, not meeting his dad's approval. He gets invited late to the party. But what David had that I would encourage all of us to ask if we have in our life, David had a moment in his life where he experienced an anointing from God. David had a moment in his life where when he walked in, his brothers were like, (laughs) That dude needs a scrub. He's a punk. David ain't never gonna make it. Little runt. Better watch my sheep so I can go out on a date, you know? David walks in and the prophet's like, you're the one, anoints his head with oil. David didn't need anybody's approval. He didn't have to look at his brothers and be like, y'all good with this? Please support me in what God's called me to do. He didn't have to beg for anybody to embrace him, stamp him verified. No, no, no. David knew for a fact God had anointed him and that strengthened him to carry out the purposes God had for his life. Can I just tell you that if if you've come from a past where you don't feel like you fit in or you don't feel good enough for the church 
or you don't feel like good enough for God. Maybe you got this wound, some kind of wound where you've hit rejection or somehow you failed people. If you cross that threshold and give your life to Jesus, he immediately anoints you with his Holy Spirit and calls you to his mission. You don't need anybody to approve of you. You don't need anybody to go, oh yeah, now you're really saved. We don't have a filter on faith around here. Can we agree? God calls somebody out. Hey, you got work to do. That's why for me as a pastor, I I was talking to a couple last week after church and they said, oh, I'm so thankful to come to a church that just teaches the Bible in a way I can understand. What, you mean you went to a church that doesn't teach the Bible? Like, what are we talking about? How could we ever, how could we ever, anybody call themselves church or call themselves Christians where we water down the scripture to accommodate a culture? That won't happen from this platform because I don't really care. I don't really care if you approve of what I say. With all due respect, and I'm not trying to say this in some kind of arrogant way, if you don't like the way I say it, that's okay. There's some other churches. But if you don't like what I say, there's not other scriptures. We don't get to pick and choose what we're gonna drop from the platform of a church that Jesus Christ died for. And and this word, y'all, listen, the convictions that we walk with when we're anointed, when we're called out, when we're set apart by God and we start walking in the purposes that he called us to, we don't have to accommodate the culture to somehow get their approval in what we're doing. Does it mean that we don't care about being relevant? No, listen, I wanna be culturally relevant. Trust me. Paul said, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I think we have a responsibility to be a bridge that reaches the community. I wanna be culturally relevant. That's why I'm wearing Jordans, amen? One, they're amazing. And my mom bought them for me. Listen, I, I, I care. I want to connect. But I will never compromise my anointing to get the culture's approval. It's just not worth it. And I don't think a lot of times we're like, oh, he's talking about peer pressure. He's talking about the young people. This does not just apply to young people by any means. We live in a society where everybody's wanting approval and everybody's wanting to be liked. People living for likes, literally online, even dying for them. Sean Ferguson, our exec pastor, he and I, it's kind of a running game. Maybe it's sick, but anytime we see something on the news of somebody dying taking a selfie, we're like, are you kidding me? People literally like on a cliff, I want to get the right angle, boom, gone. It's like, are you, just to get the right angle, just to get the right likes. And I think emotionally and spiritually, people are dying trying to get the approval of other people. It's simply not worth it. I would encourage you as you think through this for you, think about that idea of anointing and what God has called you to. Paul said it this way. Paul was writing to a church at Thessalonica. This church was a great church. It was getting started, but they were also caving in to some of the demands of culture. They were caving into what culture told them they needed to be if they were gonna somehow be religious people or have a right standing with God. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and look at what he says. First Thessalonians 2, 4. We'll have this on the screens. He says, just just as we have been approved by God, there's that word approved. Approved by who? God, not people. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. I wanna read it again. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. This is what Paul's saying to the Christian that he's talking to. This was a letter written to the church. 
Paul says that if you have given your life to Christ, you immediately are stamped approved. There's nothing more you need to do. There's no classes you need to take. There's nobody's approval that you need. God says you're good enough immediately. And in that approval, you have been entrusted with a message. That message is the gospel. You go, well, what's the gospel? It's good news, right? The good, what's, what's the good news? The good news is that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins to pay a debt you could not pay. And that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And because he rose to life, you can have life. All you have to do is trust Jesus. That's the gospel. Paul says, look, if you've been, if you've been anointed and called out, that's the message entrusted to you. It's literally the picture in his day of, of giving a courier, right? Like think a mailman. Hey, look, here's the news. Take it to the next town. Could you imagine giving a mailman a newspaper today and saying, hey, I want you to take this to Columbia. And on the way, the, the courier was like, mm, I don't really like the money section. Mm, I don't like the sports section. All they really need is like the current events. By the time he delivered the news, it wouldn't really be the news. It most definitely wouldn't be good, right? It wouldn't be the same news that he got. Listen, as the church, as Christians, we've been entrusted with the gospel, the full gospel. We don't pick and choose what parts we want to share. That's why this is my encouragement to you as your pastor. Embrace everything this book has to say. Don't just pick and choose what feels good to you. Because if we start doing that, we water down the good news and we diminish the gospel, the very one that was entrusted to us when we first gave our lives to Jesus. Paul says, you've been anointed, you've been entrusted, you've been approved by God, you don't need anybody else's approval. And then the last thing here is not to please man, but to please God. Are you living in such a way that's pleasing to God or are you worried about pleasing everybody else? Because I can tell you from experience, if you live your life to try to please everybody else, at the end of the day, you're gonna realize it's just a vapor that you can't quite get a hold of. But the moment you decide I'm living my life to please the one and only God who sent his son to die for me, the pressure comes off. You don't have to please people anymore. In closing, I'll say this, and the band's gonna come out. I think the best example of this in scripture outside of David is John the Baptist. John the Baptist who, uh, when you open the New Testament, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And this man was the most popular man in Israel, right? Like we're told in the scriptures that he had thousands that he was baptizing in the Jordan River when Jesus showed up. This is a man who drank locusts uh, or ate locusts and drank honey and wore animal skins out in the wilderness you're all like, ooh, that's gross. But I, I, think, I think if John the Baptist showed up today, right, especially in this culture, we'd be like, oh, that dude's cool, man. He's like organic and like wears animal skins. He's trendy, you know. I like him. He's different. I want to follow him. John, John the Baptist had a massive following. And, and as Jesus' ministry was starting, Jesus had nobody. Like, imagine me and John the Baptist, we're told he had his own disciples, people that followed his teaching. Imagine John the Baptist on the shores of the Jordan River, and he's baptizing people, and, you know, he's got this huge following, and we're told that Jesus started baptizing people. And some of John's followers, some of John's disciples were like, hey, John, look, he's baptizing people too. Can you imagine that? Look, John, he's a threat to our ministry. We need to, like, figure out strategize. We got to expand a little more. Maybe we should launch out some campuses. Maybe we should, we got to figure out a way to rise up because we got to overtake him. Can you imagine some of those conversations? This is, what G, this is what John the Baptist said. When his disciples started clamoring for that kind of fame and pulling it from Jesus, John the Baptist says, no, 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 no. He must increase, I must decrease. In other words, he looks at his disciples and he's like, look, y'all go follow him. 
He's more important. I'm not even worthy enough to untie his sandals. That's the man you need to be going after. And he deflected all glory to Jesus. Could you imagine what would happen if we, like, as a church, as Christians, all got to the place where, like, look, don't follow me, follow Jesus. We've missed the point if we do it any other way. Completely missed the point. More of him, less of us. I know we sing this song. Nothing else, nothing else. But, like, really, if we're really honest and we think about our lives and we think about our efforts, think about our pursuits, what matters most to us, Can you imagine what would happen if we got to that place where we actually lived out what we're singing? God, my prayer for your church today, and me included, I'm not exempt from this. God, my my prayer is that we would be a people who care more about your name than ours. God, that we we would push you and push your platform and push your agenda, push your name, push what you care about, promotes your glory more than would ours. God, I, I pray that we would have that approach, not to us, oh Lord, but to your name be the glory. And God, for everyone in the sound of my voice to understand that they are anointed. They are called out. The church is your called out ones, called to be separate, called to be different, called to live different. I ask God by your spirit, you would just take away the pressure to try to fit in, the pressure to try to be popular, the the pressure to want to be known and liked. Somehow, God, you would just reduce that in our hearts and help us truly find our approval and value and worth from you alone. God, as we sing this song that nothing else matters, I pray, God, we would sing it from a place of conviction this morning, not information, because we know it, but inspiration, God, because we believe this is who you call us to be as your people. I believe right now all across the room and those who are watching online, I know this is something we, we struggle with. And maybe you're here going, I don't know that there's ever been a moment where I have felt anointed. I have felt chosen. I have felt loved and called out by God. That moment that, that, that I'm talking about is a moment called salvation. It's a moment where you make a conscious decision. I'm dying to myself, my selfish ambitions, my selfish dreams, my selfish desires, and I am am giving my life to Jesus. The Bible says there's no way to the Father but through the Son. What that means is the only way for you to have a relationship with God is through Jesus, the one who died for your sins, but rose on the third day. And if today you need to start a relationship with God and give your life to Jesus, I wanna invite you to do it right now. Just pray this prayer. Say, dear God, I know that you love me. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I believe he rose on the third day. And because he rose to life, I can have life. I trust you completely. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.